the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Rocking and rolling here on a Monday. Busy, busy holiday week. We will be doing our upon further review today, which of course has a check-in from Day Train Danny, some AP poll react reactions and poll assassin, and more of our notes and conversation topics coming out of the weekend. Tomorrow, Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, that's when we're going to be giving you our big game breakdown. And then Wednesday will be our traditional Thursday show, Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, for our Week 13 Feast week, rivalry week locks, so make sure to come and hang out for that. Tuesday night, we'll have our rankings reaction show. Gentlemen, that is four Cover 3 podcasts in a 50-hour window. We're going to earn that turkey today, baby. All right, let's get things started uh, here with the latest from the coaching carousel. A couple different notes that we want to hit. And before we get to, yeah, the, the sadness that's okay. We can go ahead and get into it right now. We'll I'll, we'll play it in a little bit. Let's first get the general reaction. Uh, Bud, were you surprised? Because when we discussed the possible openings, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my note was we'll see what Syracuse's administration wants out of its football program. You know, in terms yeah. of what its decision is. What is your read then on uh, Syracuse football after firing Dino Babers on Sunday? So Dino Babers went 20 and 45 in ACC play. That includes a one and nine during the COVID year. Syracuse was one of the teams that was hit really hard by, by the COVID year. So, you know, if you look at his sort of non COVID year record, he's 19 and what 36. Mm-hmm. That's not amazing, but that's not really horrendous o- over seven seasons. Like he's almost averaging three wins a year in conference at Syracuse. Personally, I don't think you can do much better than that. Mm-hmm. A little bit better, maybe like get it to like three and a quarter as an average. Who in this league does Syracuse realistically expect to be favored over if they're doing well on an annual basis? Boston College, it's, it's the Big East teams. It, yeah, it should look at like Boston B, BC College. BC and Wake, right? 
I guess. Well, I, like they, but I Wake's been better than him for about a decade now. Yeah. I understand why you made the firing because I think they wanted to do it last year. And we knew, even though they're not public, there's so many like journalism grads from Syracuse. We kind of had a feel for what the buyout was. Um, And this is sort of the the shell game you have to play as an AD. Even if Syracuse's AD doesn't think they can do better than Dino, and they might not be able to, right? He still has to fire him because you have to keep your donors believing that if they just give a little more, if they keep giving, you can get the right coach. You can buy the right player and get over that hump. Even if the AD doesn't believe it, you still got to make the firing because that's what keeps the dollars coming in. You can't go to them and be like, hey, guys, honestly, being in contention for bowl games most of the time, making them sometime, is about all we can do at Syracuse. We took the check to move to the ACC. Now we're taking the losses. The sports landscape has drastically changed in about the last 10 years. This is kind of what we are. That's not going to get donations, right? That doesn't get the checkbook out. So, we, we don't do pretend on this show real well. I think Syracuse probably can do better than, than what Dino Babers did. Can they do drastically better? I, I don't I don't really think so because I think it's more about the program than it is the coach. And you got to keep season ticket sales and you got to keep donations coming in, which means you got to sell them the hopium that maybe if they just get the right guy, they can be a lot better. This is Syracuse's 11th season in the ACC. They've been to a bowl game three times. Mm. They have finished with a winning record in conference play once. They've gone four and four twice, but they only finished with a winning record twice or once. Four and four in the Atlantic is like six and two in the Coastal. Yeah, I, and that's Clemson, FSU, NC State, Wake, constantly, yeah. and then and Louisville. But again, it's you know, I I don't know. I'm, I'm with you, but I don't know what you're realistically expecting from your coaches in this job now that you have moved to the ACC like you were you were a better program back in the old Big East days but a lot has changed since then and even for as bad as Babbers' overall record is he is still currently fourth all time for most wins as a Syracuse football coach in program history it's not like there is some I mean I know Jim Brown played there I know they have all this history but it's not like it's some long ultra successful football program like getting two bowl games should be the goal. Now, that said, Dino Babbers didn't get to enough bowl games. And I do feel like there's a chance that that 10-win season was probably worse for him than, you know, maybe just going 8-4 and four that season would have been. I think it set expectations a little too high for what could be accomplished there. But it's, it's kind of an identity crisis kind of thing for Syracuse right now because moving forward, you have to figure out what you are and what you can realistically try to be in the ACC, and not to mention, you know, I don't, we, we don't know how much longer the ACC is even going to exist. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it'll be an interesting search. It'll be an attractive job because it is still a Power Five job. But if you were to rank like the Power Five gigs from best to worst, it's a pretty good argument that Syracuse would be bottom five, right? Ooh. Well, what? Washington no, State and no. Oregon State are gone, right? So, yeah, they're gone. Yeah, I mean, that's not Power 5 anymore. Um, I'm not going to say I mean, Vanderbilt, Duke, those are harder jobs to win. Yeah, but you're going to make more money at Vanderbilt, and you can't win at either place, realistically, given your, your opponents. I what disagree. Duke? Duke has won a lot of games through multiple coaches at this point. What that's about, more what of an indictment on... I think that's more of an indictment why I'm okay with this move because I think the expectation should be 
like I every once in a while you've got to have an eight win season. And to only have one win with more or one season with more than seven and it being that 10 win season, I think it is I you know, I'm usually on the side of coaches. Like, hey, give them time. You know, we fire coaches way too soon. Eight years is a long time in this business, and it just felt a little bit stale. And I think Bud hit on a great point. You want energy, excitement to sell to your base. And I don't know if Dino bought brought a lot of that. I think he was pretty comfortable where he was. And I don't think you'll have to pay somebody much more. He probably could even get somebody for a little bit less than what Dino was making or around there. And you're going to get some more ticket sales, more excitement. And I think even on the recruiting trail, it helps just to just like to reinvigorate the program. So this is one where I actually think it does make sense. But I think the expectation for Syracuse should be bowl eligibility most years and occasionally get eight or nine and you have some, you know, a big upset here or there. And if you're six, you know, if you're below 500, it better not be more than two years in a row. Does, um, well, number one, you know, I still haven't heard five worst jobs in Syracuse yet. Okay. In the power That's five, a good point. All right, let's do it. What <laughs> jobs that we definitely in, in, in the power five Northwestern Boston college is the worst job, right? Yeah. Harder academics. Probably. Mm-hmm. I see. I see a lot of the names on that list that have had a lot more success than Syracuse recently. So if they're worse jobs, about, they keep like, winning. But somehow. see, I think I, I, I think be... both Cal and Stanford are, are worse. Yes. Okay. I think it should be like Especially Iowa Cal. State. Like you should be able to have that much success. I think it's a very similar job to Iowa State. I th- I think one thing we're not considering here is the location of Syracuse. It is not exactly in a football hotbed filled with great local talent that you can get to come to the school. You have to go outside of your G- your region and convince kids to move up to Syracuse to play football for you in the winter. And it's not exactly the most appealing place to be. If my choice is hanging out in North Carolina and playing for Wake Forest or going up north and sitting in seven feet of snow for a couple months... I'm probably choosing Wake Forest. It wasn't always that way, though. Like I, I, I play golf with a guy named Terry, and he was a you know good player for Syracuse. Um, I think he actually backed up Jim Brown. Like they used to get dudes, man. Like like Terry's got like meat hooks for hands. Like you're like whoa. Like and you know just nowadays, like a guy like Terry doesn't go to Syracuse, right? Because no. like the demographic of where football players come from has, has it's not completely South. eliminated, but it's yeah, exactly. So it, it is harder to get guys there. Like, do they have any NIL? Dino is just pretty transparent about this, right? He's like, yeah. They just lost the dude, right? The guy that was yeah, the basketball yeah. booster. Was, yeah, I, I bet you that, that the mood at Wake is about the same it is at Syracuse right now. They're like, damn, our best players are playing playing on other rosters. Yeah. the um, <clears throat> When the injuries hit, what we talk about in like mid-October, yeah. they said, you know, Dino, like, where's the depth? And he said, it's in the portal. You know, he they got raided and – he, he was honest like, about it. Yeah, yeah, he was very honest about it. Syracuse has one of those TV ADs, so of course he's going to be all about branding. He's all going to be about the excitement, the way that this looks, the way that it's presented. So that's no surprise there. John Wildhack spent 30 years at ESPN uh, prior to uh, moving into the athletic director realm. He's been there for seven years, uh, taken over, you know, he um, he's he says that that a national search is underway. So real quickly, um, I, does his association with Dino Babers make it difficult for Sean Lewis to be a candidate for the job? Because prior to being the head coach at Kent State, he was offensive coordinator for Syracuse's offense that was doing pretty well. 
So do you think that Sean Lewis, um, you can hire Sean Lewis and be able to sell that to the people you're trying to sell it to, to, to raise the funds for NIL and otherwise? I, I think that, that's a good point, right? Like I, I think Sean Lewis is a dang good coach, but Dino Babers also came from the Mac, which is mm-hmm. where Sean had his last success before. Well, Sean came with him. Sean was with yeah. Dino at Bowling Green. And so when Dino right. gets hired, he brings Sean Lewis with him. The offense is exactly what, you know, as advertised, Sean Lewis gets the job at Kent State. So, you know, like you're, you're hiring, you're making a hire that is a really good coach, but you're not separating yourself from the previous regime at all. Look, I, I would certainly give Sean a call, uh, but it also is going to depend on, on what other options you have, right? Like I, I think Sean knows what he's doing. It, his last four seasons in the MAC was eighteen and ten at Kent State. Kent State is it's I arguably the worst job in the entire country. Like, like, I mean, what job do we think is actually worse than Kent State? Akron. <laughs> and even then, like, it's, it's like you're saying it with a question mark, right? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I I don't know who the higher is but i think that what you should be looking for whether it's sean lewis or anybody else is a coach in a system instead of a coach who's going to come in and try to you know convince you we're going to bring in the best players because it's pretty clear you're you're not going to bring in the best players yeah you dino has been open about having trouble keeping players from entering the portal and leaving for other jobs when you do develop them and they have success other teams come calling and syracuse can't really afford to keep them so you need to find somebody who has an identity for their program can implement that identity and stick to it and find the talent that fits like it's funny. Maybe if they make this move two years ago, they just go a couple miles north to Buffalo and get Lance Leipold to take over the job. But that's the kind of coach that they need for this program. And they're not hard, they're not easy to find, but they do exist, whether it's a Leipold, whether it's a Jerry Kill, like we talked about on Saturday night, who I think would be a very good person for a job like this, or whether it's Chuck Martin, another Met coach in Miami of Ohio, who just kind of had plenty of success at the lower levels, has moved up to the Mac. And yes, it's the Mac, but it's also a league in which you don't typically see programs have sustained success because it's kind of just a random number generator. Yet his Chuck Martin's Mac Miami teams keep winning every single year. Jason Candle's Toledo teams keep winning every single year. So it that needs, oh, go ahead. That's one I'm skeptical on because Jason, like Toledo is basically like Alabama. Of I get the Mac it, in yeah. terms of resources. Like Candle botches games with a major talent advantage. Mm-hmm. He's kind yeah, of like, I would Martin, rather have Chuck Martin, Martin than, than Candle. Yeah, like I would, I would rather have Martin. No doubt, because I, I have no idea if Jason Candle can coach without a massive talent advantage. Mm-hmm. Chuck Martin, I don't think he'll get it because it's not sexy, right? Like Miami Ohio does not play a real sexy brand of ball. Although this year, when they had Gage and they had the quarterback, it was better. Um, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just like, I, I I've seen Candle on a number of these write ups. I'm like. What evidence is there that he's a good coach w- without a massive talent advantage? I, I'm sorry, the Mario of the accused. Mac. The Mario of the Mac is going to stick. That just sounds Mario funny. of the Mac. <laughs> Mario of the Mac. Um, I it is. I've been kicking that around in my head a little bit. No, it's it, that's a good one. I'm glad you let it out. I've also seen Dan Mullen floated as a possibility for this, and I know that he's from the Northeast. But if Dan Mullen's not interested in Mississippi State, I don't think he's going to be interested in Syracuse either. I think Dan Mullen, if he comes back, is looking for a. Uh, higher profile gig but it's just yeah it's a situation where you need a program builder in there somebody who knows what they're doing has proven you know success at other places and can come in and just establish some kind of foundation which you can try to build on 
What do you think about the Holy Cross guy? Like, do you make this move now because you you don't want him to get hired by by uh, Boston College? Is it Bob Chesney? Yeah. I'm not super familiar with his program, but I know he's had success at Holy Cross and he's familiar with the Northeast. So, yeah. If- he, he seems to have that like Leopold vibe where it's like everywhere he goes, he finds a way he to wins. win. And mm-hmm. those guys kind of stick. And uh, if I'm hiring for this job, I don't want a guy who's like, oh, look at his track record when he has a massive talent advantage or when he has a super special quarterback. Like that's not going to translate to Syracuse, I, I think. Man, um, it is not sexy to talk about uh, coaching searches at the have nots. No, it ain't. Uh, like we got Al Golden is another name I've seen out there. Like that, that, that one gets you fired up to buy some season tickets and donate. No. He's a Northeastern guy. He could. He actually, I will say this. He won a Temple. He was the first guy, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He won a Temple. Miami behind the scenes was a disaster when Al Golden was there. Like Al Golden, I don't think did an amazing job, but he also, I'm not really sure how many coaches would have done a great job with what was going on at Miami when he was there. They also like okie doked him with the sanctions. Remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he took Will the he- job like a week later, like surprise sanctions. <laughs> <laughs> Nevin Shapiro just bursts out of the wall. Yeah. Like, um, will he coach in a shirt and tie? <laughs> it's kind of we, his brand. We used to have a bit on Tomahawk when I ran Tomahawk nation of, it was like, like we, we would, after every loss, it would be like Al golden hand you the keys for the, for your enterprise rental car. And we had a Photoshop behind the counter, but then it was like Al Golden hand you another L. Uh, <laughs> it was quality. Um, all right. One last time. I mean, we, we got to play it, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, it's, <laughs> all right. Close your eyes. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. The house is filled. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special team that has been well coached. You have an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. Mm. It was it was not Syracuse football often enough. Um, Jordan uh, in the Cover Three tailgate was asking. Uh, you know, was that a pregame speech from the video board? That was actually from his introductory press conference. It was one of it was a, it was an electric introductory press conference. We'll see who Syracuse. Hey, you know what? Bar set high. Next Syracuse head football coach. That's what you got to do at your intro, introductory press conference. Um, we'll see how it goes. Coming up on the other side, we're going to stay with the coaching carousel uh, and some you know coaches who might not be getting knocked off. Others who might still be feeling the hot seat. Uh, Plus, poll reaction. Stay trained, Danny, and upon further review, next. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. 
Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Well, should have called for it earlier, but anytime that we talk about the coaching carousel, it's always important to take a spin. So Sam Pittman, not going to be knocked off. Not this year. You know, athletic directors can change their mind, but Arkansas made an announcement uh, making it official. You know, they had told the team that uh, Sam Pittman will be back, which sets up for a, a very interesting 2024 for the Arkansas Razorbacks and really an interesting next month, two months. You know, as the, the transfer portal, the early signing period, I mean, the scrutiny that will be applied to this Arkansas program um, is is going to be high heading into next season for Sam Pittman. Danny, were you, um, if you were put in the position of being Arkansas's athletic director, do you think that you would be following the same kind of game plan? You know, uh, we've never done this before, and we're still going to do the full episode, but this is one of my buys. So that this Ooh. is pre-market this is a pre-market trade, and uh, I actually had a little video of why I do like it. Jordan, do you have it ready? Can you give it to me? The host of this party was going to be serving up today. What's the drink of choice tonight? Well, you know, I, I'm not promoting it, but I like some old cold beer. I think I'm going to have one. I'm not promoting it now. <laughs> Enjoy it, Coach Pittman. Go Thank home. you. Go home. How does one Sam more. Pittman celebrate being bowl eligible? Well, I... I believe I'm going to have me old cold beer. And that's kind of what I like to do, you know. Do so you need any company? Anybody want to come, but bring some, you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank Be you, be baby. Go home. All right, so I actually am good with this move. I'm actually buying it because, I, you know, Dino was eight years. Sam Pittman's only been there four. And this is his worst year by far. You did have the season that was a little bit of an outlier with the nine and four uh, season back in 2021. Last year, you got to bowl eligible, uh, bowl, bowl eligibility seven and six. You're over 500. This season's come apart, right? Loses, uh, loses Kendall, brings in Enos, doesn't work. It's just kind of come off the rails. I still think the players are responding to what he wants to do. And maybe, just maybe, do we have a chance? Because we said, what are the realistic expectations for Syracuse? Do we have an athletic director who understands what the expectations should be? for their head coach. Interesting you ask that. I would ask you this. If uh, if they had to make a change, does Hunter Urasek get to make that change? Because mm -hmm. he also hired Morris, who was a, a drastic failure. Uh, like I know he's well-liked there, but I, I think this AD is pretty tied to the success of Sam Pittman. Right? I mean, like that's... <laughs> You know, does he have warm beer if they lose? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole the whole selling point on Pittman was that he was going to be Arkansas's Dabo, right? A non-play caller, vibes guy, understood like good relationships in the coaching industry, would hire good coaches. First time around, I think he did that. 
Then you lose Bryles to Arkansas. Maybe a little meddling with the offense last year, depending. And you make a really bad hire in Dan Enos. And we didn't second guess that. We first guessed that on yeah. this show. And I think a lot of smart people in football were like, all right, what's happening here? Like, if Pittman's whole whole pitch is, hey, I'm going to hire great coordinators and I'm going to make sure, like, the vibes are good, I'm going to work the boosters, and then you hire Dan Enos, like, what, what are we doing here? Like, that's that's just like hiring your buddy. And Enos is not a good offensive coach. He might be a good quarterback coach, from what I understand, but coordinator, terrible. So I guess you give him a second shot if you don't have somebody uh, in mind. But I, I thought Trey Biddy of Hogsports had a great column, if you guys haven't read this. I, I know you have, but I'm talking about the audience haven't read it. Really worth reading. Trey is Trey's generally like the stone-cold nuts on Arkansas. Like, if, if I want Arkansas stuff, there's like one guy I go to. And I, I thought he had a – he's like, look, man, if you're going to keep Pittman, you need to open up the checkbook, big-time money – for an OC and you need to buy real impact players out of the portal to keep this thing going. You can't go, you can't like keep Pittman and go cheap. He's like, look, if it's a money thing, then you need to ask like, should you be in the sec? Which honestly is a question I've asked too. like, I don't know. Like the money's great, but if you're a fan, it's not great for you. You don't get any extra benefit because your assistant AD makes two sixty instead of one ninety, right? You're still taking a lot more L's on the field. You're not actually competing for any kind of sec title. If you're Arkansas, like who do you think is happier? Texas Tech, which is going to have a real shot to win the Big 12, or Arkansas, which has like what? They're just trying not to finish second to last. I don't know. So we'll see what kind of coordinator they can get for them, and uh, we'll see what kind of guys they can get out of the portal. But whatever. Yeah, but I mean, don't say it. <laughs> Tom. I'm they're- such an nihilist on this stuff. Like, like you take the checks, take the losses. In in all likelihood, they're going to finish four and eight. They'll probably lose to Missouri, but they might beat Missouri. That's that's the thing about like this move. I expected Pittman would be fired after the season. I don't know that keeping him is the wrong decision, just because I didn't expect it. Like I think there are strong arguments on both sides, and that it's the worst season. You don't want to overreact. If you look at them, five of their losses have been by one score. Like, there was the home loss to BYU, which you shouldn't lose, but it was a one-score loss. You lost at LSU by three. You lost at a neutral site to Texas A&M by 12, but you lost at Ole Miss by seven. You lost at Alabama by three. You lost at home to Mississippi State in a game in which I think the players were throwing a coup over the aforementioned Dan Enos, in which they clearly were trying to send a message. It's like, so they've... It's not like this is a team that's been getting blown out all year or is truly super far away from at least being more competitive on the field next year. So there is an argument to be made that if you change the OC and you hit the portal and get some key players, you can be, you know, seven and five next year, which I think is realistically in the new SEC. If you're Arkansas, let's be real. That's kind of what you are. It's not all that different from Syracuse. I know that we talk about these programs differently because they're in the SEC and the SEC is the greatest, but the SEC also has mediocre programs just like everybody else. And I think Arkansas is kind of in that territory. And if you look at their schedule next year, like how many of these games are they favored in? No matter who's the coach, they've got their non-con games against Arkansas, Pine Bluff, UAB, and Louisiana Tech. Bang. And Oak State. And you've got Oklahoma State on the road. You're probably not favored there. Neutral side against AM, probably not favored. You're at home against LSU, Ole Miss, and Tennessee and Texas. Are you favored in any of those games? No, but I think you expect to win at least one of those. Okay. Like, the names I'm not hearing so far are the most important names to me. 
Alabama, Georgia? Yes. Yeah. yeah, but you still got LSU, Texas, Auburn, Missouri, no Texas A&M, Oklahoma State. It's like there is no escaping it anymore. Like, yeah, okay, we get rid of Alabama. We don't have to play them every year, but this is the reality for all teams in the SEC and the Big Ten now. They you, voted for it. Yeah, they you voted don't to bring dodge. Oklahoma, Texas. You're going to dodge a couple teams, and then you're going to get hit over the head just with the other teams. It's like the best teams in the league are going to be on your schedule every year. Maybe not all of them, but at least two of them. And you've got to figure out ways to get around that. And that's just the reality of the situation. Like, I think, I mean, we're using Arkansas here as the example because of what's going on. But I think a lot of fan bases over the next mm-hmm. decade are going to have to come to terms with the new reality of the sport. And I don't want to go down. I'm doing it. You cried that you wanted an expanded playoff. This is the future it's brought you. Congratulations. You might be able to compete for a large berth one day. Wait, is the expanded playoff what's doing it, or is the expanded conferences? Because the to expanded me, expanded conferences, conferences because they're trying yeah. to streamline their berths into the playoff. They're trying to get everything in order so that way they can get to the playoff to make the most money. Because what's driving the sport? The same people who expanded the playoff and are expanding the conferences. I, I understand the logic. I just I don't know that that holds quite as. But I, I think it's more related to like you you voted to let Texas and Oklahoma into the league. Right, mm-hmm. you voted to let A and M and Missouri into the league, so you voted th- like three of the last four teams enter the league are clearly a better program. Like you don't really compete with those teams in terms of ability to get players, ability to get coaches. That's going to lead to like one, maybe 0.75 more losses per year. It it's going to lead to a scenario in which your best team that you can possibly field cannot win the conference. Like that's the, it, it's a real dream killer. Because it used to be like, man, you could dream on it, right? Okay, hey, like, you know, whatever, that South Carolina team had Alshon Jeffrey. Had, had they not run into Cam Newton, like, could they have won the conference? I still say no, but, like, now it's definitely a no because the best team to come out of that league is just going to be so much better than it used to be. Like, there's seven teams in the league now. I don't think the best possible team that, that money can buy, unless we get a salary cap, have any shot of winning the league. And Arkansas is one of them. So I wonder, like, at what point do fans get turned off by this? To take it local, yeah, I got you. To take it local, a little bit, a little bit less big picture and nihilistic. Uh, I thought that Biddy made a great point in his column that the one score losses do show, you know, how close things can be. But he also identified three specific spots that showed incredible shortcomings of this coaching staff. 38-31 at home to BYU. 7-3 at home to Mississippi State. And then coming off the win against Florida in Gainesville, the team looked, his analysis, and I agree with it, unprepared to go up against Auburn, and Auburn wins 48-10 to at home. The Those, Auburn that lost by 21 to New Mexico I, State. I put, that, I put that Mississippi State loss on Pittman, by the way. Because I think those players, with their play, were basically protesting Enos. Yeah, that's. Uh, but I mean, like, like, it those, looked it looked like they quit and they were trying to get him fired. So you look at those three results, all at home, all a poor reflection. Like that's where this thing has to get cleaned up because those those games should not have gone that way. And you you figure out how to flip that. I mean, you shoot, you're bowl eligible, right? We're not asking a lot from you to be able to win those games against those teams at home. Uh, so coordinator hires, you know, investing in your NIL war chest like those those things have mm-hmm. to happen for Arkansas to be able to continue forward and have this be, you know, just a little blip uh, instead of as this was another great call from Biddy. Like, are we looking at a Will Muschamp at South Carolina situation? 
where he's like, okay, we're going to bring him back, but then it's just going to be a six and six, seven and five type season. That's not inspiring enough. And then you end up making the call Uh, again. A lot of that I think is going to depend on what happens in the portal and, uh, and, and with the coach hiring cycle coming up over the next six to eight weeks or so. To be blunt, I don't know what happens in the portal that's going to keep Arkansas from being Arkansas next year and just I can tell lead you, to a new coach. Um, number one, keeping your number one, keeping your best players from leaving, and number two, being able to convince some seniors with eligibility to come back. Because then you've got a veteran group with a good coaching staff, and if the defense is built out, then you get the good offensive coordinator hire. And if Criswell is the guy, which he might be, then you at least have a pretty good quarterback, but you definitely need to go out and get yourself a quarterback and some weapons as well, as I imagine Rocket Sanders is probably off to the NFL. They got four wins on their schedule now. Can they get two more, three more, and is that enough? No. I I think they they can win seven. I think they can too. Yeah. But will that be enough? Like part of the reason this is easier to sell now is that Arkansas fans do genuinely like Sam Pittman. Like yeah. it's it'd be it'd be this would be much different if Sam Pittman was like an a-hole. Like he's not. He's a very nice person who fits in with the culture and the fan base and he's beloved down there for the most part. But after a four and eight season, I don't know if going seven and five is going to be enough, especially when you look around the rest of that landscape of the conference and people are going to be seeing, you know, Texas and Oklahoma and Georgia and Alabama and LSU and all these guys competing for playoff berths. Well, are we sure Texas, Oklahoma come waltzing in competing for playoff berths? No, but I'm sure they'll be more competitive than Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. It it pushes you down. Regardless if Texas or Oklahoma reach that Bama status or Georgia status, they're still clearly better than Arkansas. Like you voted for it. You, You voted to move yourself down two spots in the SEC power ratings. I think Arkansas should try to get to the Big 12. But when I say this, Arkansas fans tell me, we love basketball and we love our baseball. And it's kind of like the Vanderbilt thing, right? Like Vanderbilt has awesome baseball. Taking that, taking all those losses in football there allows them to spend that money on baseball. Arkansas kind of does the same thing. So, You, know, you think we're, in we're, any we're, world we could see that happen, though, bud, where a team would leave, leave, uh, leave that payday? No, because the fans don't vote. The right. athletic administrators who are getting rich as hell off, off the big TV money vote. Yeah. Like your director of compliance, who's making two and a quarter, loves, loves taking all these losses at Arkansas, right? Whoa, like is that a real rich. number? No, well, well, actually, your director of compliance would probably have, have a law degree. So you'd have to compete. No, probably not. Probably like a buck fifty. Okay. But still, like, I mean, th- these are the people that are going to vote for it, right? Like your ADs aren't going to be like, yeah, let's take a pay cut. It'll make our fans happy because we'll actually have a chance to win a league and be competitive and have, you know, more than three or four games a year, we think we, like, we're definitely going to win, but they won't vote for it. You're, people don't vote for pay cuts. I mean, I, I happen to enjoy the big pig snout, Bud Walton Arena, and the Coach Muss era. <laughs> and Arkansas basketball program's fun as hell. So, I don't big know. Big 12's I, pretty good at basketball, too. That's true. That's true. Just like, in fact, it's better than the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, they would compete in the Big 12, right? Like, we are Arkansas. Mm, yes. Yeah. They would, like, they wouldn't win great basketball time, and it, they'd be competitive in football just as much. They, yeah, they would yeah. drop. We would drop them in. Like to, to your point, Texas and Oklahoma get dropped in, and they get pushed down two spots, just sort of in the overall like pecking order. The way you look at it, you drop them into the Big Twelve as it is currently constituted, or even with the, the other teams that are joining it. 
the new Big 12, I mean, easy conversation for top six. Yeah. You'd be competing for a Big 12 championship berth next Kansas year. State, right off Utah, the jump. Arizona. Kansas yeah. State, Utah. Arizona, if they keep this team together, will be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. When you go from bottom four team in the SEC to a top four team in the Big 12, I, I think. Speaking of uh, teams that will be departing the Pac-12, um, it's, so is, is Chip Kelly safe? He beats USC and it's all good and everybody that was calling for his head after the loss to Arizona State has just totally had a change of feelings. What's our read on the situation um, in Westwood? I think he's good. I don't think you can fire him. Because wow. I, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna go eight wins. I think he's and he's played three different quarterbacks. Uh, the defense looks great. Like I just, I don't think you can. I mean, you can do anything you want. I get it, but I totally get the argument for firing Chip Kelly, and and it goes basically like this: hasn't embraced the boosters, hasn't cultivated that nil that they think they're going to need to compete. Very senior laden team. You're losing a ton of good players off this team. I don't think Chip Kelly can go compete in the Big Big Ten. Now, I don't really buy that argument because I, I think it's on the school to cultivate a lot of the NIL type stuff, not the coach, right? That's that's your own infrastructure. Could you recruit high school better? Yeah, I think so, and and probably should be expected to a little bit. But like Kelly has done a really good job out of the portal repeatedly. He, he seems to find undervalued assets and win games with them. So, it, if you're if you're deciding to fire Chip Kelly. You can't do it based on the last two games, mm. right? You either think this guy's the right guy to lead you into the Big Ten, or you don't. It's it's kind of reductivist to, to be like, let's let's can you beat USC and Cal? Like, how is that determining the future of your program? That's silly. I have no idea. I, it's you UCLA is an athletic department that I, there's I don't know how to read it. I don't know what their goals are. I don't know what they want to accomplish. Like, I don't know. Like they are, they've. I don't know what their place is in the Big Ten. I don't know what they want their place to be. I don't know how much they're willing to spend on a coach. And like you're saying, but it's not just the coach who's responsible for NIL. You have to have buy-in from the top down to get the money invested into your program. Although it certainly helps if you have a coach who is very much an excellent salesman and who's happily yeah. happy to glad hand with boosters. I don't know if Chip does that. So I don't know. I I, I, I truly have no idea what goes on there. I, that's what I wonder, like how irate whatever fan base UCLA has. Like, are they that upset? Even if they lost the last game of the season, are they calling for it? They're, a lot of them online are calling for it because I, I think that like online the fans are like, yeah, this is a house of cards. It's going to crumble when we lose this crop of players. But you know what? A lot of people last year before UCLA attacked the transfer portal thought they were going to go four and eight. And they're mm -hmm. probably going to go eight and four with three quarterback injuries. So, I, What about the possibility they go to the Big Ten? It might be easier. Now they're going like if they were in the Big Ten this year, don't you think they'd be in contention for the third best team? Fourth, I think third best team. No, Fourth. you don't think they're on the same playing field as Penn State? No, I think Penn State. No, I I think Penn State's insanely better. overrated. By the way, that's fine. You can be wrong. I can all see you it. Want. <laughs> like what? What's their oh, UCLA's defense is about on par with Penn State's. Like UCLA is clearly better than every team in the Big Ten West by like a touchdown because none of those teams can score at all. And UCLA, I think, would score a little bit. And the defense is just as good as anybody in that league. Would UCLA in, score in, in a little bit? Their offense isn't exactly – I mean, like, I, I think that they would they score some. Penn State. 
No, I, I would no, have Penn State. Wouldn't. They wouldn't score. They'd score 10 points on Penn State at most. Yeah, Penn State. Well, how many points would Penn State score? Win. It would be 10 to 9. It'd be 14 to 10. Penn State would win. <laughs> they have a very tough schedule next year, by the way. UCLA? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they got um they have to go to LSU. They host Oregon. They're at Penn State. They host Minnesota. They're at Rutgers, so that's kind of a gimme. They're at Nebraska. We'll see if Nebraska can find a quarterback. They host Iowa. Uh, at Washington, which I mean, Washington actually could be really down next year with, with all these guys they lose, and who knows if DeBoer's there anymore. Uh, host USC, and then they host Fresno as well, which is a difficult game. Uh, I mean, that's a tough schedule. Maybe that's LSU, an argument Fresno, to keep non-con. Chip. Maybe that's an argument to keep Chip. That's kind of the, the Gators' argument to keep Napier. Yeah, you don't want to bring really in a new, new coach, coach and be like, here you go, go three and nine, get off to a great start. So, let's see. Martin Jarman came from Boston College. He was at Ohio State before that, right? Hmm. I don't know. Little uh, Jonathan Smith action there. Hmm. Jonathan Smith's a hot name across the board, right? He can coach. Well, yeah, because he can coach, and also you're selling the like, hey, Jonathan. I know Oregon State is your school, but. Let's look into the future. Yeah, like it, it might might be time to uh to, to go ahead and get on out here. There Maybe are certain jobs, man. Equity in that two hundred million they're getting though. <laughs> there are certain jobs if you win at, especially if you don't have some elite quarterback. If you win at like, like a place like an Oregon State, I'm just gonna stamp you as like knowing what the hell you're doing because we've seen what bad Oregon State looks like and it is dreadful. And it's not like Jonathan Smith has had a great quarterback there. I mean they. Their quarterbacks are, are kind of somewhere between average to bad, and they still win a whole lot of ball games. Like he knows what he's doing, so it, stamp him. Yeah, his yeah, quarterbacks, could, as in he's used multiple quarterbacks in each of the last two years. Yeah, like I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very mindful of: Are you hiring a guy who just had like like the best quarterback in school history type thing? Right. A&M is probably pretty mindful of this too after what happened with Jimbo. So, you know, like the fact that Smith is winning without a great quarterback. Same thing with Leipold at Kansas. I mean, he, he gave Kansas State hell for like three quarters on Saturday night with a third stringer. I, I will say, I'm not saying this about Jonathan Smith because I agree with you, but there are a lot of Nebraska fans who might push back at the idea that if you can win at Oregon State, you could probably win anywhere. That's That was Mike that's Riley, weird. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He won so with weird. plenty. Well, they fired a coach making you know nine wins a year, which wasn't the smartest for Nebraska either. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of things were mishandled. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say like, yeah. that. Oh. By him, too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, coming up on the other side, let's hit the trading room floor and check in with Day Trade and Danny. Plus, upon further review, our thoughts coming out of the weekend and some notable injury updates, especially at the quarterback position, maybe some reaction to the new AP poll and more. Next. You know, on Mondays, as soon as, as, soon as trading opens, we got to hear. From our number one analyst, check in with Day Train Danny. All right. We've already got one trade already made today. You guys heard that earlier. Buying Sam Pittman uh, in the pre-market. We had a little conversation about him getting another year from his athletic director. So that one's already in the books. And you'll notice this time of year, you know, it's dwindling down. Reserves are getting tight. There's probably going to be more sells than there are buys. 
but I do have some of both for you. All right, we talked about Chip Kelly. You know what I'm selling? I already sold him once this year. I'm adding to the sell. I'm selling USC, and I'm getting out in front of this early. I'm selling Lincoln Riley's future at USC. I think it is very much up in question whether he returns next year. There is a lot of rumblings. Lincoln Riley could be behind the scenes working on a package deal with Caleb Williams to the NFL, quickly realizing, you know what? I thought I was going to come here. I thought it was going to be a Pac-12 that looked like the way it has for the past 100 years. Wait a second. We're going to have to travel across the country. Caleb Williams is going to the NFL. Things look completely different. The path to the national title didn't get easier. It got harder since you left Oklahoma. I am selling Lincoln Riley's future as the head coach for the USC Trojans. I don't think it is that wild to do. The question I have which NFL team will take him? And Caleb Williams, can he have enough leverage to work out that package deal that Lincoln Riley is indeed looking for? I have another sell for you. We just talked about this. I am selling Penn State's future as the third best team in the Big Ten. I just said it. I think they're incredibly overrated. Uh, not for not for the future of where they're going to be in there but whether they're going to be the third best team. I think the days of going 10 and two are done when they've been able to go and beat up everybody else. That's not named Michigan and Ohio state drew Aller, man came in with so much hype and expectations continues to uh, underwhelm with what he's able to do. The 10 and two years are done. Welcome to nine and three, eight and four uh, for the Penn state Nittany lions there, Tom, you going to counter, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fade that. I would fade that. I, I do think Oregon steps in and is better than Penn State right away. That I, I will not argue against. I just think you are And Michigan? Re- Wait, what? And Michigan, right? Oregon's Oregon better, better than, than Michigan? I think no. I expect Oregon to come in and be better than Michigan, yeah. I, I think no, the, the I, roster building behind the scenes Oregon's doing is better than what Michigan is doing. Oh, That's why I think Harbaugh. Talk about some stock buying. I've been hearing it out sorry. of Bud's corner. <laughs> Boys uh, buying up duck eggs left and right. I'm going to push back that Oregon will be in better shape than a Michigan team that might be on the verge of its third straight conference title and playoff berth. But I'll let you think that if you want. Um, Penn State, I, I think, Danny, you're overreacting to Penn State losing to Michigan and Ohio State. If you've watched Penn State against anybody else that's played on its schedule this year, it has been much better than every opponent it's faced. I still think it's pretty good. I just think they have an Ohio State and Michigan problem, which most teams in the country are going to have. I think the gap between Michigan, Ohio State, and everybody else in the big – I think the, the gap between Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State is like this big, and then there's a gap between Penn State and everybody else is like this big, and that's where those teams are going to plug in right on that playing field mm-hmm. with Penn State – and I think that hurts them over the long haul. And man, do they have a search to take place to get the coordinators because it's not going to be the dudes that were calling them last week filling in for Mike Yersich and Drew Aller. They got to do some some confidence building with him because it is completely wrecked there uh, for him. Um, all right, so at Penn State, I'm selling. Uh, you know who else I'm selling? Now, this is more of a national championship picture because I picked Michigan to win the national championship. You know, I'm selling J.J. McCarthy and his ability to win a national title with the Michigan Wolverines. Notice this over the weekend as I'm watching him trying to close out the game. He had one interception in the red zone. The play before he threw the interception, there was a ball that should have been picked off. Then after the interception, they've got a wide open receiver running, which would have been like the closeout touchdown to really start to separate. He misses a wide open receiver down the field, allows Maryland to hang around. 
noticing a trend. And I hate that this is a thing because I, I don't want to be like I'm just trolling, but I do think it is worth noticing that TCU, who, re- who referenced that they knew that they did have the signals, mixed them up during the playoffs. They picked them off twice for two pick sixes. And the last two weeks, since they have not had the signals, it has not been pretty. Didn't have to you know, run it the whole time. The second half, uh, it was only six of seven or something like that. Did not throw for much. And this past weekend, uh, the stats were not great. I know it's not all about statistics, but 12 of 23, zero touchdowns, one interception, 141 against Maryland, who most teams have been having their way with. I think it's a sign for alarm. So I still like Michigan. I still, I don't, we'll, I might lean toward them next week, but this season has been about can you get over that hump? And they bench Cade McNamara to go in favor of JJ McCarthy. I don't know if he's the guy that's going to be able to take them all the way home to where they want to go. McCarthy got a little bit banged up in that game. Yeah. Um, maybe something to take into consideration and certainly to factor into your handicap and, the fact that the pass game, they didn't need it against Penn State in the second half, but to see it two weeks in a row now, it, it hasn't quite been operating on the same level. That was one takeaway early in the season. We're like, holy crap, Michigan is just throwing the ball down the field, like and not just off play action, but really baking in opportunities for J.J. McCarthy. I mean, Tom, why do you think that's, why do you think that's gone away? Is that a McCarthy thing or... What's the offense in general because of the offensive line injuries where he doesn't have as much time? You know, what, what are the factors that are contributing to a passing attack that is looking uh, much less fruitful than it was at the beginning of the year? I am not going to argue that J.J. McCarthy had a good game against Maryland because J.J. McCarthy did not have a good game against Maryland. He did miss one throw late in the game that could have clinched it. But J.J. McCarthy was banged up playing behind an offensive line that was down two guys and also without his leading receiver in that game a week ahead of Ohio State and a week after playing Penn State. I think that we might be overreacting a little bit to the one game considering how well he's played in every single other game this season. So, yeah, I mean, everybody has bad games. Like, I'm not going to sit there. I, I don't totally disagree with your J.J. McCarthy might not be good enough to win a national title. i I won't push back on that because that's a perfectly reasonable opinion. I do think we're overreacting to one game a little bit, and I don't think he played poorly against Penn State. He was seven of eight. They just didn't throw the ball. Like They didn't have to. Right. He played awesome in those games leading up when they knew the signals and knew the perfect play calls to dial up. I don't. They've known the signals. Like everybody's known this. Like this investigation has been going on for a while. Like it has not. The Connor Stallion stuff started forever ago, and they were still tearing everybody up. The only problem that Michigan had was they couldn't block Penn State nearly as well last week as they could these other teams because Penn State's got a monster defense, and they were down a couple offensive linemen against Maryland. Like it's. I don't know. I yeah. I mean, in Michigan's offense, even we want to play that. Sorry, go ahead, Chip. Well, Michigan's offense isn't doing the like run to the line of scrimmage, check with me, look to the sideline. I mean, they kind of do mm-hmm. their thing. Yeah, like, they, they seem to be dict- in the past the chalk game. Michigan's offense seems to here's what we're gonna do. See if you can stop it. More than all right, let's see exactly what look you're in. Let's try to figure out what you're gonna be doing, mm-hmm. and then put in a counter to at the last second to be able to come up with the perfect play call that. My dumb eyes, my uneducated eyes, have not seen that sort of be in the the way that Michigan's offense handles its business. He also, he also I, I, like it doesn't 
the idea that like they've all of a sudden started sucking when they didn't have the signals. They also played Purdue and Michigan State after right. the investigation came out. Those teams definitely had time to change their signs, and he crushed them. I, but you don't need signs against them. But you don't need signs against Maryland. Maryland's right. the same level as Michigan yeah. State or Purdue, roughly. I mean, like they're right. not good. So I, we'll see. He has not taken the next step against better competition. Is really fair to say, I think. Like we mm-hmm. knew when, if his first read was open, he can throw it. You know, does he have that Tyler Van Dyke in him where <clears throat> it's got to be read, you know, kind of open for him and read it? Or can he actually get to the progressions and, and go? We'll see. And, and I will say too, like last year, and I talked about this on Saturday night, the week before the Ohio State game, Michigan nearly lost to Illinois. Like they're not putting anything on tape in that game. They don't want to give Ohio State any idea of what they're doing. And also, J.J. McCarthy before that was playing much worse before that Illinois game. And then they came out for the Ohio State game and, you know, hit a bunch of bombs. Like, I don't I don't know that Michigan is going to beat Ohio State because I do think in the last couple of weeks, even against what you would consider, you know, lesser competition, Ohio State has really started to click on offense, and they've gotten a lot healthier on offense, and I think that is something that cannot be overlooked or overstated. They are starting to look more like the Ohio State team you expect. So if Ohio State beats Michigan this week, I'm not going to be, like, shocked or in awe of it happening, but I'm also not going to think it's because of signals or because of J.J. McCarthy. I just think it's probably going to be because Ohio State's also a very good team. Ohio State's doing what Michigan did to those teams earlier. Like they're yeah. starting to get their style mm-hmm. points now. Michigan just got to load them up the first six or seven yeah. weeks of the season. I think Ohio State is also uh, they've reached the acceptance phase with McCord, and they know they're just having to scheme everything open for them, and mm-hmm. they're doing a nice job of it. Like they're they're like, okay, you know what? This guy's not a good quarterback. Can he be a serviceable to decent quarterback and get the ball to our elite weapons? Henderson's also looking a hell of a lot better, by the way. Like mm-hmm. I remember back when we had when we had Barton and Bud, Henderson came out of high school was a ridiculous prospect. I was like, guys, he would play for Ohio State like right now. And I feel like he has never been healthy. And like that was probably hyperbole and a hot take to think the 18-year-old. But we do see it with 18-year-old running backs. And now he's out there looking like Adrian Peterson. So like that's – I mean, having him hit hit the health stride at the right time might be really beneficial for Ohio State. Yeah, because now defenses actually have to respect the run game because they really didn't have to for the first couple months of the season. And also that offensive line, which early in the year was pretty like it wasn't exactly exciting. They're figuring things out. They're getting they're kind of gelling as a unit and they're playing better overall, too. So like Ohio State right now is just getting better everywhere you look. I am a couple more trades to make. Uh, I also I'm buying. So I think we might have all sold Washington too soon as oh, Oregon's just going to beat them in a rematch. Mm. I still like Oregon. I still get why they're favored. But Washington just keeps winning. And I thought their defense stepped up in a huge way on the road. I think great teams figure out ways to win games in tough environments when the conditions aren't great. That's exactly what Washington did. They were able to at least contain Damian Martinez. They did pick off DJ twice. I'm starting to think that Washington, maybe we're underestimating the Washington Huskies as the undefeated Pac-12 champ and giving a little bit too much credit to Oregon. I like that. Yeah. And I think we'll all like, we'll have our chance because I think we're going to see them in the Pac-12 championship game. But I I just look at it. I'm like, man, we're, we're kind of, I think we wrote off because I think everyone after the Washington, after we watched them beat Oregon, we're all like, oh, well, Oregon was a better team. And at some point you have to recognize what they did on the field. And so I'm, I'm starting to buy back some of that. 
We already know I got Michael Penix. I have Jaden Daniels. I'm holding Bo Nix. Three Heisman Trophy uh, stocks that I am holding. I've got Carson Beck, who is the only other candidate that I would consider adding to. At mm-hmm. 50 to 1 odds, I actually think it's incredible value to go ahead and snatch up some Carson Beck now. He has been phenomenal. I think he's going to have another huge stack game. And then he's going to have the opportunity in the SEC championship game that the entire country is going to be watching. I think there's an outstanding chance. I am not sold that Bama's defense is just fixed. I think he could have a huge day against Bama, and I think he could win it. And meanwhile, I get Jaden Daniels has been phenomenal. He's not in the national championship hunt. I think he could finish second. And Bo Nix, Michael Penix, they still have tough games. Both of them have left. And then against each other, what if they underwhelm? What if it's a defensive game? What if what if both of them struggle somewhat and Carson Beck lights it up? I think at 51, the Georgia quarterback could come in and steal this whole thing. I uh yeah, I'm gonna short sell that one. I I, I have Carson Beck at 200 to one from like about a month ago, and we talked about it on the show a lot. I this is moving the wrong direction. He, he just, I, I think Georgia's winning so easily in these games that he's not getting the credit he deserves. Um, I just, this was 25 to one before the weekend and it doubled. Mm, so I, I just, wrong. I didn't know that. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I need those dang straw poles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's lacking the moment is what he's lacking. Basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause they haven't had close games except for the Auburn game. Right. You know that Georgia. Their average spread in the road games this year is 20 points. Man, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, but Vandy, Georgia Tech, Auburn, and Tennessee. Here, I mean, if you put their power rating on a scatter plot against yeah. the rest of the SEC, there's a lot of white space between those like two dots at the top and everybody else. So here's, here's, here's a headline for you Does Carson Beck need to transfer to LSU to get the respect he deserves? Sound <laughs> off in the comments. <laughs> Do you um, think that uh, the winner of the Pac-12 title game will kind of snatch up, like vacuum up the votes of the loser? Ooh. Because yes. right now, Daniels is the favorite. Correct. But like if Bo Nix blows out Washington. And Heisman votes are split up geographically, so right. you have to assume that all of the West region votes are probably going to go to the quarterback who wins – in the Pac-12 title game. Speaking of selling, I would sell my Heisman vote if we could go down to 100 voters and get rid of the 800 voters who barely watch and watch one region, watch one team all season long. I say, I'm not joking. I, if we could get it to where it made sense and you could truly get a better judge of who the best player in college football was from people who actually watched the sport, I would give away my vote. In a heartbeat. Uh, but just to be clear, Heisman Trust, because I know a lot of y'all do pay attention to the Cover 3 podcast. That is Danny saying, you got to follow through on your side first, okay? Yeah. He's not volunteering <laughs> to give his vote up, okay? He's yeah. saying, I give my vote up as one of 700 voters that will also, yes. you know, lose their vote, and then we put in some kind of college football IQ Correct. test. And then maybe I can get back in the final hundred, but we'll have to all submit (laughs) resumes again and kind of explain what we do. Last buy for me before the market close. I am buying Tate Rodemaker as a quarterback for Florida State who could achieve everything Florida State could have with Jordan Travis. Let me explain. I think think Florida State was tapped at where they could possibly go this season, and I think it was the playoffs. I think that was the – 
pinnacle for Florida State. I do think there was a limitation on this roster to go toe-to-toe with the likes of Michigan, Georgia, the elite teams of the country. But I still think Rodemaker can take Florida State to the playoffs, and I think he can take them undefeated past Florida on the road through Louisville. And for people that think he's a different style of quarterback, he's not quite as electric as Jordan Travis, and he clearly doesn't have anywhere the experience or leadership. But he still is a really athletic quarterback who's got a cannon for an arm. And we've seen him twice now come off the bench, once in a much tougher position last year against Louisville on the road uh, than it was this past season or this past weekend with Jordan Travis you know, going down against North Alabama. I know the game was tight, but he stepped up huge. Um, but I still think Tate Rodemaker can take him. And I am selling anybody who says Florida State undefeated ACC champ is not getting into the playoff. That is complete hogwash. If they win out, they are in. It doesn't matter if the fifth string walk-on is playing quarterback. They're in if they run the table. They deserve to be in. No, they will be in. They deserve to be in. (laughs) They will be in. They 100% (laughs) will be in if they run the table. The more I think about it, I think Danny is probably right on this. Um. Like I was looking at some of the updated playoff odds, and you're talking about was, the Tate side, right? No, as far as like make if they go undefeated, they'll make it. I, 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 was I, I don't, well, look, that's I mean that's we're we're spitting out permutations at this point that would just be like right. trying to create the most chaotic scenario, which I agree is fun, but ultimately not that productive. But yeah, agree. No, I, I was just looking at the playoff odds, and they basically track with like FSU to win the next two games, roughly. You know, there there's some. There's some tolerance in there for them getting left out as an undefeated team. The thing is, like, if Louisville beats Kentucky, and Kentucky looks like an absolute mess right now. Yeah. And they have to go play at Louisville. That's going to be a win over a team that the committee is, even if they don't want to, going to have to put at, like, number seven in the country entering the game. So then I know the committee doesn't really follow its logic from week to week, but it will be pretty stark if they're like, yeah, you guys just beat the number seven team in the country to go undefeated and win your conference, but you're out. It's going to be a weird argument to make. Can I? Not sell one something? that I think they won't. They could make it, but can I sell something, you- Danny? Yes. I wrote about it this morning. Ooh, okay. Oh boy. While we're on the topic, I am selling the lie that we were sold to begin with. Does anybody notice? This is the last year of the four-team playoff. We enter the final week of the regular season in a scenario in which nine teams have a legitimate shot to be one of the four teams in the playoff. Meanwhile, if the 12-team format was in place this season, we would already know who about eight or nine of the teams that would be in the playoff no matter what happened. They lied to you and told you that a 12-team playoff would create more meaningful games. If it existed this year, there would be fewer. The Ohio State-Michigan game would be rendered practically meaningless. I mean, all these games, the Oregon-Oregon State game, the Washington-Washington State game, the Pac-12 championship, it'd be meaningless. These teams would all be in the playoff. The only thing we would be arguing for right now is which G5 team deserves the bid the most. Oh, that's so exciting. That'll really get the casual fans going. They lied to you. No, selling that lie. Missouri, Arkansas would be a much more meaningful game this weekend than it mm-hmm. than it next year than it is now. So that's why that we have no to have a playoff. Impact. So a game between Missouri and Arkansas matters. 
Yes. Forget Ohio Next State, year. Michigan. Wait, we don't need that. Forget the SEC championship. We need the Missouri Arkansas. No, game but to it matter. brings, but it makes that game more compelling Did, next year because if know. Missouri loses that, they would be out of the playoff race. And the same thing with Penn State, Penn State, Michigan State. That has more meaning next year than it does this year. Those are meaningless games where no one's going to be watching them. I get the ones on Black Friday, like, so yeah, we'll turn it on, but they have zero meaning. If they're playing for a playoff spot, it instantly makes those more intriguing games than they are this year. Yeah, so what about who, the other eight teams that have already clinched their spot in this 12-team field? They haven't who, clinched, Who was in though. the playoff last year? It was Georgia, TCU, Michigan, and um, Ohio State. Oh, Ohio State, right. So that game ended up having huge stakes because both teams, regardless no, of when, still made it. Correct. I'm like, talking about the lie that the, the new playoff will create uh, more games. It just changes which games matter. It takes no, you're wrong. I do my 12-team playoff every week, right? Like, the loser... You project it, yes. Sure, but the loser of Ohio State-Michigan probably has to go face Georgia in their bracket and won't get a bye week. Who did Ohio State face last year? The what? Georgia. Who did Michigan face the year before? Georgia. The funny thing about the college football playoff is four teams are 12. You're going to have to face Georgia. Yeah, but you know what? Injuries happen. You'd rather face Georgia last than, than have to play them first. You have to get there. And I'm sorry, Mizzou, even if you beat Arkansas, I'm going to sell your ability to get to Georgia in this 12-team playoff field. All right. Again, you're selling a more. bullshit lie. I mean, that's I, really all that any of this I, is. I don't know what world you're living in because I think this last weekend would be so much more compelling with 12 spots potentially at stake than we're only talking about the seven or eight teams that can make it now. Like every other team is kind of, well, what bowl are they going to or what coach is going to be on the hot seat if they lose this game? Every other game in the top 20 all of a sudden becomes instantly more compelling because you could have that edge to get in the 12 teams. Mm-hmm. No, no, not this year. You've got five undefeated teams and four more one-loss teams in a 12-team field. Doing the quick math, that's nine. If you really want the LSU fans to stop hyping up Jaden Daniels' Heisman case and replace it with why LSU should be in the playoff field, I guess that's your kink. I'm not going to shame you for it, but that's the only thing that would be different right now. I do think the fact that we have five undefeated power conference teams on November 20th is unique. Playing mm-hmm. for a buy. If they no, lose, no, 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 no. they just, lose saying, the like, buy. This, this sample set, like this is an anomaly year. We yeah. it is not often that we have this many undefeated power conference teams this deep into the season. It it creates an outlier to to throw into whatever sort of projection or model that you want to have. But you know what this has a higher likelihood of happening this year than a twelve seed in the playoff having any shot of winning the damn thing. So they only have a 12 seed because they want to avoid antitrust. Then the eighth seed. Well, but your beloved Penn State Nittany Lions through this powerhouse, you don't give them any chance in a 12 team playoff. No, they've already had their chance. It was called Ohio State and Michigan, and they failed both. Mm. But you guys just want to give everybody more chances to lose. Congratulations. Yay. <laughs> I don't know. I saw that game in Columbus. Penn State could have won it. They play on neutral site. Maybe they win. You sold them. You said they're going to be like the fifth best team well, in the Big Ten. Now you're trying to tell me they could beat Ohio State. Come on. Pick a lane, Chief. <laughs> I thought they were good according to you, so I was buying back in. <laughs> All right. Coming up on the other side, going under the hood with more thoughts on the week that was as we turn our attention to week 13. Next. Back here. Get out of here, Canal. 
back here on the Cover Three podcast. Uh, this is D- DK just uh, ran. What do you say? Got to bounce. Mm. All right. Every single Monday, we go under the hood. We clean out the notebook. We call it fun for the review. There were terrible calls. Do you want to go ahead and jump in? After further review. After further review. After further review. Um, some other sort of headlines that I'm going to package in here. Just heard Danny's uh, thought on Tate Rodemacher and you know being able to accomplish everything. I, but I did want to hear your thoughts on that. You know, we touched on it a little bit, but are you? As we do prepare for Florida, you know, you, you mentioned the odds consider that they should still be able to win. Well, what are the other pieces? Because, again, Jordan Travis, we knew he wasn't going to play. He posted a, a message on Monday morning uh, indicating that his playing career at Florida State is done. You know, I think his eligibility clock was up anyway, but, you know, no playoff return or anything like that. Like, this is a pretty gruesome injury. He's going to be out, and uh, and now Tate's got the show. So, you know, this this could be Marcus Austin. This could be Cardale Jones, right? Couple couple different paths. This is a the most significant, you know, piece of the story in a what has been a storybook season for Mike Norvell. So, what do we what do we know? What do we think as Florida State's quarterback position moves forward? Uh, so fourth year junior, uh, son of a coach, does have I think a stronger arm than Jordan does. That does not mean he's a better passer than Jordan is. I don't think that he is. He. Uh, uh, he's fairly athletic. Like there's a bunch of TikToks of him doing like some some pretty good like dunks and, and jumping over stuff. He's certainly not as dynamic of an athlete as Jordan was. I, I think he's a material downgrade for this team, right? Like they're favored by six and a half in the swamp. I, I think if Jordan's playing, the line is certainly double digits. Probably not two touchdowns, but it's over ten. I'll tell you that. Uh, so can you? Norvell has certainly ran offenses. With and had success with much worse quarterbacks than Tate Rodemaker, though. Like, that's the thing is, it, if you had to play him for a season, I think I'd be a lot more worried. If you got to play him for two games against one good defense and one kind of iffy defense, I, I think they're going to score points on Florida with Tate because Keon and Johnny looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they had some drops, but in terms of moving the ball around, uh, like, or, sorry, how they moved around, I thought they, they looked pretty damn good. Um, Benson's been fairly healthy recently and this defense, look, let's, let's just say it right. This defense does have a pretty good amount of talent. This defense has also been shutting teams down pretty consistently and they have been shutting down backup quarterbacks for the better part of two months. This is a a weird anomaly. Vatek got the backup Syracuse. You had Schrader who was hurt Duke. You got uh, the hurt starter and then the backup when you knock the starter out of the game, Wake Forest, you had a dinged up starter in Griffiths who's since been benched. Pitt, you got the backup. Miami, you got the backup. So, and then you pl- you played the quarterback North Alabama. I, I have concerns about Florida State's defense playing like a real competent passer. But then I say that, and like nobody has even come close to doing what they did to Jaden Daniels. So, mm. like maybe I shouldn't have those concerns. Uh, they have like legit NFL players on the D-line who will have to come up big. Florida might be without both starting tackles. Hey, Austin Barber did not play. And then Damian George got rolled up on and was not like close to coming back in that game from when I was watching him on the sideline uh, on the TV copy. I I mean, if if you think Florida State's going to go in the swamp, it's basically Rodemaker hit some shot plays. I generally trust Norvell to scheme up some points. 
And hey, Jared versus Pat Payton. It's a money day, right? Go 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 feast on some backup tackles. I think Florida's D-line will will present FSU some problems because FSU lost their center, Maurice Smith. Norvell today in his presser said he's optimistic he'll be back, but we don't really know, right? And it's it's UF's backup quarterback as well. So we'll see. Like, man, being in this state, like Norvell and Napier, sorry, Napier and, and Mario don't botch games every week, right? But it does seem to happen like at least once a season where like they have like the WTF moment. Norvell probably has one of those like every, you know, 18 or 24 games, which is more like what a really good coach does. So I have general confidence that he'll probably have a pretty good plan for Tate and out coach Florida. We'll see. It's a hard place to play, and I'm sure FSU doesn't want it to be a night game, but it is. Tom, you got thoughts on Florida State's quarterback? I'm, we're going to see a lot of scrambling <laughs> from both teams in this game. It's it's going to be your scramble drill. Practice that and practice all week because that is exactly what you're going to be seeing a whole lot of from two backup QBs. And good wide receivers. Just check it up there, dog. Yeah. You know, on both sides. On both sides, actually. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think – this is the second best receivers that FSU's seen so far this year. Mike Norvell. Wilson and Pearsall are good. Mike Norvell said it was the best they've seen all year. I mean, look, LSU was a long time ago, but Florida's <laughs> receivers are good. <laughs> that, that was a discussion that's actually ongoing right now in the Cover 3 college football uh, workroom. Like, you mean the, the team that has two Bolitnikoff Award semifinalists? Yeah. Florida's receivers are – yeah, that – Mike's probably not had a lot of sleep in the last 24 hours. He's probably been in the lab. You know, hey, Tate, what do you like? What do you not like? That's a big part of this week, too. It's just, right. hey, man, we know what you rep in practice. What What do you really like? If Let's you get on the same page game. here so yeah, that you like, can be comfortable, set you up for success. Um, I know what you can run, but, like, what call gives you confidence when it comes into the huddle? Because you're already going to be kind of nervous, I think, in the swamp. Um, I didn't get a chance to chime in on uh, Day Train Danny because – you know, just like on the stock market, man, things things just fly, right? High frequency trading. High frequency trading. Um, flash, what is it? The flash flash trading, right? Yeah. Where you, you set up closer closer to the server to get microseconds of advantage. I mean, it's, it's basically no having stat broadcast up for your live betting. Come on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get in the game, baby. All right. That's so, it. do you think? What is the path forward for USC football if Lincoln Riley is to stick around? Because Caleb Williams is going to be gone. You're going to have to go out into the transfer portal to not only address other roster issues, but quarterback as well. You're making the move to the Big Ten. Uh, As Danny mentioned, there are, I I don't know if it it would even be reports as as much as he called them rumblings about whether Lincoln Riley is long for L.A., do you think that this is a, a program that's going to be able to have any chance to have steady feet as it lands in the Big Ten next season? A chance, yes, because it is USC. So if Lincoln sticks around, hires a defensive coordinator, and they put money into going into the portal to addressing the areas that they need, then they could they can improve going to next season. But you still have to replace Caleb Williams, and that's going to be a problem. But given Lincoln's track record with quarterbacks, I'm not that concerned especially because you'll probably be able to attract a quarterback in the transfer portal if you feel like you need to go that route. So I I think the bigger question for USC next year, honestly, no matter who the head coach is, is what's your offensive line and defensive line going to look like? 
because that is the one area where I think they are at a serious disadvantage in the new conference. It's been the hell. They've been at a disadvantage with it in the Pac-12. Like I mentioned it Saturday night, UCLA is a team that punched them in the face, and USC is a team that when you punch it in the face, it kind of just turtles up and lays down. It does not fight back. It lets you beat it up. That is going to have to change. That has been a problem for this program for a long time. I think, honestly, the last time it wasn't a problem was the couple weeks when Ed Orgeron was the interim coach. That was the last time I remember USC looking like it was ready to fight somebody. So, I don't know. It's it's a very interesting situation. I don't think they are in serious trouble in the Big Ten, but I do think that if they want to be USC and they want to be competing for national titles, and I do think that belief is very much in that athletic department. You don't go get Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma if that is not your goal. I just think that that path is a lot more difficult than they thought it would be by simply just bringing in Lincoln Riley. I think Tom said it. I mean, like, USC kind of needs to make it. A, well, first of all, isn't Riley's buyout probably huge? Probably, yes. I don't know. It's, it's a probably not school, going anywhere, so, yeah. and, unless he decides to leave, right? Right. I mean, probably at least it's a get out of town early. Yeah. Uh, which maybe he will. I, I, I don't know. Beat um, the traffic. They. I just think there's so much room for improvement if they – they probably have to change how they practice, you know? The defensive coordinator hire will matter. You know, what does Riley let him do in practice or not? Uh, they just, like for long stretches, they kind of looked like undisciplined, uncoached. So I know some of these guys they have on the team have some talent. Mm-hmm. What 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 are they gonna what are they gonna do in terms of, of coaching practice habits, offseason program to get these guys to play more to their talent level? I don't know. We'll we'll see. I'm I'm, I'm curious. Cover three tailgate saying the buyouts around 80 million considering he is only two years into a lucrative deal. Um, USC They're going to be solutions-focused. <laughs> solutions-focused, yeah. Solutions-focused. Um, all right, what, uh, uh, Bud, got some Bo Nicks here? Or is that Tom? Yeah, uh, so we got called out a little bit for commenting on, on Bo's throws. Uh, I went back and watched it on the PFF where you can pull up all the throws, and I, I, I think Oregon fans were right. Uh in like the latter half of his performance, I think Bo Nix did make some some more impressive throws. You know, some of the early highlight stuff was short thing that went you know went long, like 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 a tight end screen that went for eighty. Uh, but no, uh, Bo Nix did make some like more impressive high level throws uh, in the second half of that game when I had you know more started watching. Not the second half of the game, the second half of his performance because I know he didn't play the whole game. So uh, when we're wrong or when I'm wrong, I'll, I'll give Oregon fans credit. I, I think they're right on that. It's a good, good, great use of a pun for the review. Yeah, Buy go back a, and watch more. Like, okay, yeah, I see him. Buy me a couple seconds here. I'm looking something up. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, apparently, there are hundreds of different permutations of the Pac-12 title break of Pac-12 tiebreakers. All right, Chip, you can shut up. <laughs> No, and, and let's go through them one by one. <laughs> no, but I just looked it up because I knew I had the stats somewhere. Um, to go with what we did say, like that may have been the case, but 61.4% of Oregon's passing total yards this year have come after the catch. That is the eighth highest rate in the country. There is a whole lot of yak in that. We got to throw them open too. All right. We do. Yeah, but that's a lot. There's a lot of screens that go for big gains in that offense. 
Oh, for sure. No, you're, you're definitely not wrong about that. Um, yeah, apparently there are 126 individual scenarios that can unfold with the pack with the big 12 title race. And now we will read them. No, I'm just kidding. 112? Almost all of them are wiped out if Texas wins on Friday, right? Oh, yeah, right. There's a, there's a, the big Friday is going to end up, um, is going to end up deciding a lot. And Oklahoma State is the only one that is like winning you're in no matter what, right? Correct. Okay. Isn't Texas in if they win? All the Longhorns have to do is take care of business at home on Friday against Texas Tech. A win would move them to 8-1 and one of the Big 12. They'd be the only one-loss team in the conference. They're the only team that can also potentially take a loss and still get in. Everybody yeah. else from Texas, Oklahoma yeah. State, Oklahoma, Kansas State uh, potentially need they need a Texas loss and maybe even some more help beyond that. Texas is a win and you're in. Oklahoma State is a win and you're in, and they're going up against BYU. Then Oklahoma still in the mix, mm-hmm. but they need uh, they need a lot of help to be able to get there. Texas losing is what opens up the other like hundreds of uh, potential permutations here. So, so Vegas is given. We should root Sorry, for Texas to lose. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Like root root for Texas Tech? Is that is that what I'm hearing? If all right, if Texas loses to Texas Tech and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both win. What happens if Texas and Oklahoma State lose? Because if Texas and Oklahoma State both lose? (laughs) Yes. What are are the 108 scenarios after that? (laughs) Then it doesn't depend on Kansas State, Iowa State, because... Texas could still clinch a berth if it loses. If two of the other three teams among Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State lose, but Texas's opponent in that scenario would be whichever one of the three didn't lose. All right, so I'm going to propose. There, oh, go ahead. No, is there any scenario in which Oklahoma State wins and does not get in? No. I, I do not think so. No. Yeah, one more win secures Oklahoma State a spot. In the Big 12 title game. And they're a 17-point favorite over BYU. Correct. Which is Thanks. huge. Okay. I, I'm going to propose, not this year, it's too late, but next year, when this kind of stuff becomes the norm in our 45-team conferences, we do a three-hour show every Sunday night explaining all the tiebreakers that are now in play for each league. What do you guys say? Are you in? Obviously. Yeah. Okay. That's, what, that's why I do this. <laughs> Come on. Um. Yeah, that's uh, it, it is uh, it is quite confusing on that stand front. We've already got our conference title games locked for the ACC, where of course it will be Florida State and Louisville. We've already got it set for Conference USA uh, because Jacksonville State ineligible for the postseason. Uh, it will be Liberty and New Mexico State um, in that one. Let's see, we've still got a lot to decide in the Mountain West, where UNLV has a has clinched UNLV has clinched one of those spots. Uh, Air Force, Boise State, San Jose State, all tied as with two conference losses right now, and likely Washington and Oregon, Arizona, of course, as we mentioned, does have a, an outside chance there. Alabama and Georgia already gets you covered with the SEC. We've known that for some time now. Troy clinched in the Sun Belt West. App State by beating JMU could get in as the Sunbelt East representative, if JMU beats Coastal Carolina this weekend. 
JMU Coastal Carolina. I mean, that's possible. Coastal Carolina wins. Um, Coastal Carolina goes to represent the Sun Belt East. They've got the tiebreaker. App State would also need to win its game this weekend. They play against Georgia Southern at home. Wow, sounds like we got a lot of games with stakes considering it's only a 14 playoff. How many of those that they read off have playoff implications? UTSA, None. SMU, and Tulane, all 7-0 and in conference play, but Tulane hosts UTSA this weekend, so one team will remain undefeated. The other team will take a loss, while SMU uh, has a chance to control its own destiny. It plays a home game against Navy, the Mustangs, in a win-in-your-end scenario. Tulane and UTSA playing for the other spot, at least the way that it looks right now. What's UTSA's conference winning streak up to now? Because how Seven. many had no, but how many had they won straight in conference USA? Oh uh, like, when was the last time 15. they lost a conference game in any league? At least fifteen, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it was good good work there. One and three in non con. Just come back and just start mowing down the AAC. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jeff Trailer. It's the kind of it's kind of coaching job that Wow. Might get you. Hmm? He's hot as fish grease right now. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else we want to hit before we get out of here? I just want to clarify, though, the Pac-12 going back to it. If Oregon loses to Oregon State and Arizona beats Arizona State, Arizona's in the Pac-12 championship, yes? It's that clean? I think so. I think that's all it takes. So the Beavers have a chance to really, really mess some crap up this week. Mm-hmm. all right well listen right. what you got something else well paul's calling me out for not paying my bet off but paul my phone broke you can see how it's all cracked right there <laughs> i got the new one here it's transferring haven't had a phone this morning but tesh been texting me i got i gotta hit him back once i get this phone like the data is currently transferring so paul i got you man all right <laughs> We will be back Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, doing our big game breakdown. We'll also probably look ahead to that evening's uh, college football playoff rankings release. Also, Wednesday, locks for week 13, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So come and hang out for that. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fennell. You can follow him at BudElliot3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you all.